This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station? Good morning. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Philip C. This is WTF or What's the Focus, our weekly roundup show of the top stories this week and other news tidbits you may have missed. We bring you the TLDR ICYMI so you don't FOMO. But if you're hungry, it's WTF, where's the food? <laughs> okay, all those people. Words, letters, alphabet soup that we just like went through. Anyway, we're here to give you all the interesting stories that you may or may not have missed this week. And as usual, we always start with business, don't we? That's right. And uh, we're we're picking up on a thread that we discussed last week because last week Elon Musk concluded his long drawn out process of taking over Twitter and um, on that day... You mean you're talking about world domination but that might continue, please. Yeah, on that day after paying 44, million, 44 billion US dollars, uh, he decided to fire the top executives at Twitter including the CEO, CFO and the legal affairs and policy chief. He um, is also looking to call more employees from the company. Mm. I think um, I, we've seen reports that they plan to uh, cut almost half of the company's workforce. That's 3,700 jobs in a bid to drive down costs. So obviously, there's still a lot of remodeling going over at Twitter HQ. Most definitely remodeling. And I, you know, I was just building on the point you talked about world domination. What kind of world are we talking about? Because a couple of changes he's done, right? Firstly, he's changing the revenue model, right? He wants to start, think, he's thinking and contemplating of charging people to subscribe to Twitter. At the same time, you see advertisers questioning whether or not they should advertise on board. You're also seeing the changes of users, right? Some deciding to come back in perhaps with his permission and some choosing to lead out. So you're seeing a world where you're paying for the service. You're not relying on advertising revenue. The user base is also fundamentally changing, perhaps becoming a bit more myopic, creating this echo chamber. So what kind of world is that then? I have no clue. Honestly, we'll find out very soon, right? He might change his mind anytime soon in terms of what what he's, you know, what Twitter will eventually look like. But I, I want to go back to this point where he's he's basically sacking significant numbers yeah. of employees. Now, I'm looking at this uh, report that's just come out from Reuters, right? Basically, what they're going to do is, uh, he, in an email, they have told their staff that their offices will be temporarily closed and all badge access will be suspended in order to help ensure the safety of each employee as well as Twitter systems and customer data. They're locking everybody out. That's I the think, opposite of what China's doing, right? <laughs> lockdowns, they're locking everybody in. I think they're doing this out. because you're worried about sabotage, right? Because they mentioned the word uh, safety of employees as well as systems and customer data. So I'm, my, my question firstly is, what is the basis of the job cut? You know, are you, is there a base, a read, is there a change in strategy in how you want to do it as a result? Certain functions, certain roles don't perform or are not required anymore. I think that, I think, is not clear yet. And, and that's why I, it sits uncomfortably with me. The other dimension where it doesn't sit comfortably is the process on how they're letting go of people, right? You're saying about this whole choice of if you get it, it's through an email, if it's not, it's through Gmail and you're locked out immediately. I tell you what's driving him. It's the, the price tag that he paid for Twitter. 
and the fact that he has to pay a billion dollars every year in just interest costs for the acquisition of this company. But it's a solution through cost cuts, is my well, question. Well, it's, it's something you can always control. You yeah. can't control your revenue, you can't control your top line, so the easiest thing to do is to just start slashing costs. And his target, right, is a billion in annual infrastructure costs. That's how much he's going to try and save by slashing cloud services and extra service space. Uh, service space. And this is also a, a report that I'm seeing uh, from Reuters. So he's seeking to find as, as much as 3 million per day in infrastructure saving. I mean, so he's really gone there with a big uh, sledgehammer. I know, but it's so hard to negotiate cloud costs in this time and age. I mean, I know, yes, that you know that's the big lever to cut digital infrastructure. But, you know, the market for cloud services is limited. You know, these guys are earning huge margins already mm. to the business. So he thinks he probably can take the axe there. But it really takes a detailed negotiation there. Yeah, but I think what's interesting is the repercussions of him taking over and where we do see uh, some users actually opting out of Twitter and so far, there are names like Rob Reiner, who's an actor-director. Well, he's staying, actually. Oh, he's staying, Rob sorry. Rob Reiner is staying, but people like Shonda Rhimes, Sarah Bareilles, yeah. Tony Braxton, these are, these are some people who publicly said they're exiting Twitter. So again, there's going to be all this. There, there are those who will not really want to follow what... Uh, Elon Musk is doing and they'll leave. And then there are those who are staying like Rob Reiner and George Takei. They're going to stay and fight, you know, anybody who comes in and tries to spread misinformation. Um, but Tony Braxton clearly wants to break his heart. <laughs> I'm curious, is he going to bring back Donald Trump? That or is Stephen Bannon? Those are the people that have question. been banned, right? But what about advertisers? Because that's where really your bottom line counts. So are they going to stick around? when all this is uh, brewing? I think I read somewhere that advertisers are quiet quitting Twitter, or at least they're waiting for the dust to settle to see where Twitter is taking the company, where Elon Musk is taking Twitter, and whether a Twitter is going to be um, a hellscape or, or not a hellscape, as Elon Musk says. But this comes to the point also for the next story, where layoffs are taking place all across the tech sector, isn't it? It's not only in Twitter, but we're seeing Amazon, Lyft, all experience, expecting an economic downturn. And so now you're seeing not only a corporate hiring free, but tech workers also being let go. What happened to the... Uh, what the was great it? resignation. Yeah, the great resignation beca became the, the great, great sacking. Yes. Yeah, what happened there? We kind of flipped within, what, six months? The script has flipped very fast. You're seeing it very close to home as well. In Malaysia, there were stories of Shopee also here letting go of staff. So I think this is the worry, right, where if you see this employment, employment issues taking place with unemployment tick up, then do you see that unemployment pass 5% in the United States? And this is a, so a stark a story because tech was the big growth generator for so long. Yeah. You know, they were pumping in money. They were uh, they were really focused on just growing bigger and bigger. And now we're seeing that, yeah, that growth is definitely stopped. We're going the opposite direction. Tech companies are shrinking in order to cut their costs. You know, this is what the uh, Fed is actually the challenge of the Fed is exemplified in what's happening in the tech space because you see interest rates go up, right? That yeah. has impacted economic growth. And then as a result, you know, it, it has it caused jobs to be cut. But the Fed also has this challenge where they want to keep unemployment to a, to a minimum. So, you know, this is where it's a classic example of how one action can lead to another negative action, but yet both are 
your uh, mandates. So I, I don't know how this is going to pan out. Which is the, 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 the part we are very worried about. You don't want to see a Fed fund rate past 5%, which is likely to happen. You don't want to see an unemployment rate past 5% as well. Yeah. So are we going to but have a double one whammy causes the other, now? right? They're all interlinked, but we could end up seeing both. Unemployment rate more than 5%, a Fed's fund rate more than 5%, which is terrible. Yeah. So are there going to be some tech cuts here in Malaysia? We'll keep our eyes peeled on that. But let's turn to another story that um, caught our eye. We've seen how crypto markets have crashed this year, right? I think uh, they're what down some 60%, 50% on a year-to-date basis. But Binance, um, they are not, uh, how to say, thwarted from their expansion. What exactly do they have planned, Shawning? Ooh, they look like they're going to buy a bank. Is it going to be a TikTok bank? I mean, how does the bank work? <laughs> Do you dance bank. on it like a video or what? But anyway, their own, their founder and CEO uh, has said that the crypto exchange may spend more than $1 billion on deals this year. They're considering to buy a bank as the boundary between digital asset industry and traditional finance blurs. So what I think it's, has happened is, you know, the conversation on crypto has evolved very much so, right? In the early part of the year, we say, look, what's the purpose and objective of crypto? But what you've seen so far is that you've clearly seen a filtration to say, look, there are very much many utilities and functions for it, but it really sits in the confine of sophisticated, invest- sophisticated investors. You know, these larger institutions like Goldman, JP Morgan, who are very invested in it, or BlackRock. So presumably, that's where people say, okay, there's some utility there, but if you try to do crypto trading, like what's happening to most of us here, mm. you're gonna get burned because you don't have the expertise to manage. Maybe that. he's trying to diversify his income, right? Because he realizes being a crypto exchange is no easy walk in the park. Right? No. It's extremely volatile. So, hey, old economy isn't bad, you know, compared to new economy. So maybe that shift to old economy does make sense for him. I mean, the goal I think that Binance wants to do is to bridge between crypto and traditional financial world. I'm trying to see how that architecture is. We'll how find will that? Out. Rollout, I think it's really very fascinating and interesting. Yeah. Uh, talking about old economy, very quickly, one of my favourite topics, oh. ST Lauder. Oh, indeed. Tell us more, Xiaoning. Yeah, I can see my colleague Shazana's face looking very puzzled. They are one of the largest uh, cosmetic companies. And why I want to feature on them is really the fact that consumer discretionary products not so hot anymore in this global slowdown. And one of their largest markets, China, really being impacted. So even they have warned that their profits in the coming quarters are going to come down. And this is a sign of things to come, actually, because this is an optional product. You might think, uh, not so important. I will spend a little less. I will downtrend. Discretionary expenses is what you call them. I think when you say China is experiencing a slowdown, not only China, but even US consumption numbers, the revenue for its US operations also saw a dip of 3%, which is uh, a sign of things to come. I guess these are interesting bellwethers, yes. right, about consumer demand for next year, since they're all quite of elective in nature. And then talking about things really coming, crashing down. There's this story, sad story in a way, where museum pieces have been smashed or broken and we don't really know why and they were never really in, in nobody really said anything until an opposition lawmaker made noise and this is of course happening in Taiwan. Yeah, so Taiwan's National Palace Museum has admitted to breaking three Ming and Qing dynasty artifacts, two bowls and a plate that were said to be worth more than a combined 77 million US dollars. And these pieces were broken in three separate incidents over the past eight month, 18 months. But news of the damage only emerged last week when it was brought uh, when the, it was brought up by the opposition legislator, as you mentioned, Xiaoning. But a contrasting story was what happened in Europe, in Europe where all these activities 
activists try and you know throw tomato soup or all mashed potatoes, mashed potatoes, <laughs> and Van Gogh and Monet's and such. Right? That's intentional and that's actually abhorrent in my view. I don't know whether this was accidental or not, but uh, this very, is definitely accidental. accidental. <laughs> I hope it's accidental. <laughs> Seventy-seven so, million US dollars worth in accidents. Yes, but that's a contrast here, right? Where you perhaps this is accidental, so no problems. But in Europe, you know, where people were just kind of desecrating, I think beautiful. I will point out that cause. I will point out that none of the paintings were actually desecrated. It was really just the. Was to make a point. It was to make a point. It was the drama of it all, and the, it's very diverse. Just stick to the plastic and the enamel. You can't break it. Yes. Nine forty-seven in the morning. We're taking a break for some messages, but we'll come back with a look at the other side of what's what makes the world go round, and that's politics. We do have a quick message for you before that, though. Change is inevitable, and with that comes the need for innovation and transformation. Shazura, excuse me, Shazurawati Abdul Karim, Executive Vice President of TM1, shares how organizations can leap forward into their next phase of economic growth. Tune in at 1.30 p.m. today, only on Enterprise. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Thanks for staying tuned to The Morning Run. You're listening to WTF, or What's the Focus, our weekly recap show. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Philip C. And we're definitely not a waste treatment facility. <laughs> Far from it, Philip. Far, far from, from it. it. Far, far, far from it. Even though sometimes our political landscape feels like it can be a waste treatment facility. And speaking of elections, we're not the only country heading into elections. Over in the US next week on November the 8th, that's a Tuesday, the US will go into its midterm elections. Uh, that's like the in-between period for Joe Biden's presidency. It's going to be a referendum on how it's people a report think he's card, doing. Right? It's a report card. I mean, yeah. Well, card. we're heading that way in Malaysia too because so many states aren't actually participating in this general election. Only three, right? Burles, uh, Para, what's the third one? Pahang. 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 So the rest will have different dates, the state elections. Maybe they might end up like mini, mini, uh, A mini, mini midterm. report cards. Mini yeah. midterms. But you know, it's very interesting, right? Report cards in the midterm tend to be always graded F for the incumbent president. That's right. If you look at past midterm elections in the United States, they generally don't work well for the incumbents. Indeed. And Joe Biden is on track for that outcome as well. he The Democratic Party currently has control of both the House of Representatives and the Congress by a hair, really. Um, it both are... are anticipated to shift um, after the midterms in which the Republicans may control both and which would lead to a divided government, making it so much more difficult for Joe Biden to pass policies moving forward. He already can't do it now with uh, both houses in his control. Mm. What more when they're in the Republican side? Yeah, I think uh, definitely going to be a challenge. And I think question marks about whether in the first place he's as a result of whatever happens on uh, November 8, whatever the outcome, he might actually decide not to run for another term. There is talk of that. Uh, but I think what's interesting in terms of how hotly contested the midterm elections are and something that we don't really talk about is how much money has been spent uh, on media advertisements mm. uh, to the tune of 10 billion US dollars on ads so far. And that is just staggering because that's even more than what was spent in the 2020 presidential elections. I mean, it's a lot at stake. I mean, the issues have been 
heightened quite a lot. I mean, the Democrats are so eng- engrossed with ab- anti-abortion rights issues. So the right also is, you know, pummeled by Donald Trump and such. So the issues are hot. And I think that's why it's driving so much interest. And one of the features of US elections is just the negative campaigning that takes place here. There's yeah. just so much negative campaign. Are we going to see and this mudslinging. Here? And the question is, is that something that we're going to see here as well? Yes. Now, Kairi Jamaluddin, caretaker uh, health minister, he's going to be running in Sungai Bulo. And he has actually said that he he's going to be a gentleman um, mm. in this political campaign. Well, you know? last he's that he's planning to aim high. He won't go low. Um, so some people have lauded that, but others have, uh, they're a bit more cynical in that approach. But I think that has to be the right strategy if you want to win over voters. If you look at Sungai Bulo, it's, you know, historically in the past, it's been very pro-opposition. So he has to cross the aisle and win over voters. If you're trying to get your core vote, core base to go out, I can understand why negative campaign works because you're kind of, you know, kind of preaching to fear and getting the incumbents to move in. But he cannot take that tactic. He has to encourage, inspire people to vote for you. And I think KJ running in Sungai Bulo brings up that really interesting dynamic that we were discussing earlier, yes. yeah, Phil, in, mm. in the sense, do people vote for the candidate or the party? Because I feel like in Sungai Bulo, you do have that you have that dilemma. Mm. I do, I do. So let's talk about some of the stats, right, to, uh, that were based on 2018. It was a seat that, of course, PKR Siva Rasa won. Uh, he got 43,631 votes, past candidate 16,000, so almost 17,000. MIC, also similar number, and PSM, unfortunately, 642 votes only. So clearly a PKR stronghold. Yes. Let's, let's be fair about it. But with... KJ there, does it change the dynamics? Is it still going to be a PKR stronghold? Because KJ is not any ordinary Amno politician. He has been a rather successful Minister of Health. He is quite well known. And some people do gravitate towards him and his policies. And I suppose with KJ as well, it brings to mind, do you judge him on his most recent uh, achievements or do you look to his past as well and what his actions in the yeah. past have been? So as Amno Youth Chief, he hasn't always been as uh, gentlemanly as he may have liked to, as he may like to portray himself now, some argue. Um, so again, I feel like this brings up so many interesting uh, factors that people could consider when they decide who to vote Correct. for. Correct. And I have to say, look, I mean, I had a dinner party with friends last night and of many course, of them one does. That's what I always do, right? Um, and, and it really split down the middle, right? Some say, look, I like the personality, so I will vote for the personality rather than the politics. While some say, no, let's hold the line, vote for the politics involved. So really, what, what do you play? And I'm very keen to understand how KJ will present himself and campaign. Will he talk more about himself as an individual in terms of delivering outcomes for the health minister? Or noting, um, no. Or is he going to say we're part of the UMNO team, right? Okay. That's a very interesting dynamic and messaging. I'm quite keen to see how he rolls that And out. it's probably not helped by the fact that the opposition has fielded um, Ramanan, who was the MIC Treasurer General before. Uh, he stepped down in 2014 and it's not like he's not without some past because uh, he was instructed by the High Court to return the $5.5 million he obtained through fraud. Okay, There was no criminal There's charge. No Let's criminal. put that on the table. Yeah, but, yeah. but these aren't great optics at no. all. And he's such he's not a well known name, unlike Siba Rasa. So let you know, I think Sungai Bolo is definitely a seat. And I think even then there was infighting within PKR as to who should be the candidate to go up against Siba, uh, to go up against KJ. I found Rafizi Rami's comments very interesting. The fact that he said, Oh, but we 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 suggested Siva Rasa to, to maintain, but it was Anwar who decided yeah. not to. And I and I want 
to me that you know it, it it sounds almost like you're throwing your leader under the bus almost. I think there'll way. be many buses going past KL in the next few weeks <laughs> or through our country to begin with. Well, let's see what happens tomorrow because tomorrow is D-Day nomination day. That's right. Sure. And tune in to BFM 89.9. We will be covering nomination day developments from 10 a.m. until 12 p.m. Uh, so stick around for all the analysis there. We have some time maybe for just a quick update or a quick recommendation yes. on things you should read over the weekend. Yeah, so as usual, we end on all the op-eds that have caught our eye. And the first one is, of course, by the outgoing uh, MP for Klang, Charles, Charles Santiago. He's asking the questions whether GE15 will be free and fair given the weather conditions. He's asking the EC where are our uh, uh, guidelines in terms of if there is flooding. What do you expect the voters to do? And the second piece is a free Malaysia Today piece and it's about GE15, whether it's the best time to sunder political claims and higher education. This is by A. Katris Rasen and I encourage everyone to read it and it's very similar to the call we had with Dr. Sharifa Munira Alatas who also is asking for the same thing. And if you've got time you know, to get away from elections, download the Wall Street Journal podcast on the power of the minions. The, the soundtrack <laughs> to that, by the way, that. is that the That was best. amazing. That yes. was such a fun listen. Listen to that. It's 9.58 in the morning. That's all we have from the morning run on WTF. We have the 10am News Bulletin coming up next and then it's over to Enterprise. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.